0: Welcome to the Mystic and the Skeptic uh, radio show and podcast. Uh, Today, we have a special panel discussing uh, race in this part of the world. Uh, The reason (laughs) that we're doing the show is because we've been part of this. People say it's been the last four years actually been going on for a long time, where there's um, all kinds of misinformation, misdirection, uh, rewriting of history, or deconstructing history of all kinds of things related to people that live in this side of the world and the way that they're identified, the way that the race is used either against them or as, as a, to give you a sense of pride and, and to move forward. So um, I reached out to my artist friend, Angela Fama to help me uh, look into how can we discuss this in a, the most creative way. Originally, it was going to be an art project, but I think that this is kind of like brainstorming to get there, or the a different um, expression of it. I feel that um, sometimes these big ideas take forever to come about, and I don't think there's any time to waste. I think we should like jump on it. And people come to me, and this is we'll talk about this throughout the, the series, and they say, David, why are these people acting up? Why are these people doing this? So uh, in a previous conversation with one of our guests, he was saying that there's a thing called uh, buffer communities and we can go into that, but maybe I stand somewhere in there where people think that I'm like the, um, you know, again, I have to be careful with uh, how I describe things. So I'm like the intermediary between different groups somehow they assume or they think or whatever. And I, I would love to do that. I would love to help people build bridges and connect, but it, now is the time to actually take a stand and to educate people and to help them um, realize that their ignorance or their lack of understanding can be very harmful and, and destructive. So we want to educate people. We want to help them grow and also to uh, lift up um, the unheard, the voices uh, that are not being given a platform in, in, in our show, and then kind of unravel some of the misconceptions and issues that have been coming um, up in, in the last few years. So I'm gonna, we're gonna go around, um, and I would like for everybody to share where they're from and maybe a little bit about their background. And, and again, the, the biggest issue that we're gonna discuss today is how do we even identify ourselves and how do we want people to recognize us as either part of a group or as individuals? And how that now has become politicized and muddied with all the stuff going on. So, uh, if you don't mind, Angela, we're gonna start with you. And I know it could be a very complicated history of, of how you came about, but um, just tell us um, why was this interesting for you as well?
1: Um, okay, but hi. <laughs> um, I am interested in this. I was, when you put the call out to me, uh, because when i was doing the what is love project which is where we met um one of the things that came up while i was having interviews with with individuals across north america um was race and i and at that point this was like five or six years ago and i saw it and i was aware that there were some boundaries that weren't there was a trust that wasn't um necessarily there between different Racial groups when I would show up, and even though I wanted to include every voice I could, I recognized, okay, I need to learn more about this, how to how to integrate, how to um, soften the lines of understanding between where safety is and what what that can be. So um, when we do speak with Gerald as well, I met him in the What is love Project and and I noticed there was much more um, willingness and openness to be included in my project. And it was based on color or race or, or communities that we were a part of. Like it was, I needed a facilitator. I needed people to work with. And it's such a, even to talk about it, even to say the word race, even to say that out of my mouth, I'm uncomfortable. And I've been learning so much in the last couple of years about what that is, what the dialogue is within the community I, I grew up within, which is the non-racist just silencers, I guess, like didn't even really realize how much that's still contributing so greatly to the different layers of power within the structure that we live within in North America. So uh, really briefly, and I'm so honored to be a part of it. So Amber, I'm am so glad that you are here with us. David, Gerald, this is exciting, <laughs> really exciting. Um, and I don't know if you wanted to know, but I think it's important if we identify sort of what our racial I've been trying to learn how to say that the or
0: should question, we what do you I, identify with because I, I met a friend that told me I know I'm this but I actually would like to be part of something else and yeah. a question about trans uh, racial uh, identity so um where do you feel mostly connected and what is it and and it's okay if it is white because some people are now like I don't know if being white is okay it's like well if that's all you are and and you are like the best of it then god bless you
1: yeah i don't know right now i i have a really intersectional understanding of identity and even when gender comes up like i'm just kind of like oh like i i don't know so with race for me i am i didn't grow up within like a straight heritage i wasn't like oh i grew up in a white you know british home um i'm pretty much a description of a third culture kid or globalized. Um, I didn't know my father ever, and I don't know his history. I had no father. So then my mother cut herself off from a Roman Catholic, I guess, second generation Italian um, on one half and then Métis French on the other half. So I, but I didn't grow up with any of that heritage in me. My mom was a little black sheep, played music, welfare, punk rocker. So I, I grew up outside of that. And then to throw it off, I was born in the States on the farm and then lived in Ottawa and then spent my high school years in Zimbabwe in, the, in, a, in a rural area and then came back. So I, I feel like words have been thrown at me like third culture kid. I think I identify with that the most. But then when we talk about color, I'm on like the low end of the white scale, I guess, because I used to get teased for how dark and dirty I was when I was younger. Um, because my skin tone, like, technically on paper, I'm white. And I know the more I learn about race, I'm still very white in the privilege that I've had. But I also don't really identify when I look in the mirror, I don't see that. But I, you know, so it's it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get that I don't have a like that when I think of people who grew up within a, a culture like like when people say second generation or third generation I think of families that grew up with something that was taken from one place placed in another uprooted but I don't even share in that so it's kind of like I'm a bit of what happens when globalization sort of does that and (laughs) <laughs> I used to call myself a mutt when I was a kid. Like I had no idea how to kind of identify my, my race.
0: <laughs> You're a child of the future.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I in, a, in an intersectional class or a class about diaspora, once the word hybrid comes out in the more like when people are being more kind about the, the, the mixes that are happening. Um, and that thought of like what happens when you don't have something you're pulling from to hinder you from the future so I'm quite open to to learning anew and I have so much respect for for all the different ways that things can be seen all the different cultures different heritages so yeah I would say I'm a bit of a (laughs) melting pot (laughs) but technically white when I'm asked on paperwork that is what I have to write
0: so. We'll talk about that too because I find that um, it's kind of like forcing you to identify yourself um, yeah. and it can be used against you. So Amber, uh, welcome. Thank
2: you. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia, the unceded territory of the tsleil Squamish Nation and Musqueam Nations. And I am from the Wet'suwet'en Nation myself, which is in Northern British Columbia. We made recent uh, international, <laughs> international news um, because we shut down Canada for a few months over some pipeline protests. I come from a long line of advocacy and... Uh, Gener- many multiple generations of first Nations lawyers, government officials, etc, that have been really working hard to uh, advocate and push forward the first Nations equality in Canada, which is a very big struggle. I am also um, from ten or sorry nine generations in written history of chiefs, including my great my grandparents were both high chiefs, so with that comes a lot of you know uh, I don't want to say, it, with it comes with a lot of, um, I don't want to say like that we have to, but chiefs, raise chiefs, race, chiefs. So it's like a torch is always being passed. So I come by my advocacy very honestly, and I am recently really rising to that in my 40s and with the guidance of my chiefs and my uh, aunts and uncles. So that is sort of the, what I'm doing in the world today advocating for first nations in canada it's a very big and especially youth really wanting to push through uh growth and expansion within our youth sector so that we can like generationally push forward. Um, and just like David, I have found myself kind of in a bridge position. I am actually half Caucasian. So with that comes a lot of privilege. I'm lighter skinned. I was raised in the city, so I don't have a reservation accent like some of my cousins do. So if I'm darker skinned like them versus who, who I present to the world, I I definitely come to the world with a lot more privilege than, uh, some first nations in Canada. And, uh, I'm also the child of an outed uh, gay man in the '80s, so I grew up in Gay Village, Vancouver uh, with my dad and his partner, and so that brings me to a very colorful life of equality and just seeing again, gender fluidity, fluidity, uh, race fluidity with my, uh, within my family structures. That is a whole other ball game as well, Ra- racism within one side of the family versus another. Um, and I think somebody touched on earlier, just about trust. Like Angela, you said something about coming into the world and, and seeing racial mistrust. This is a big thing in our community as well that like, you know, when you talk about a Caucasian member coming into chat with anybody from the First Nations, um, there's lack of trust there. And there is an, a response often that the trust should just automatically be given. You know, there's an entitlement to trust when you're a Caucasian person, um, where you want to show up, say, like in a in a reserve or whatnot as a government official, say, and you just expect that they should trust you. And God forbid that they don't, then you know it's their fault or. They, sh- they should just automatically trust there's an entitlement there in white privilege. So these are the types of things that I'm hoping to educate and create some kind of a bridge on so that we can like our, you know, I don't have children, but ch- our grandchildren and grandchildren can like have a totally different existence than what we've been experiencing. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Remember, um, I tell people that I was raised by Mexican rednecks. <laughs> And what I mean by that, well, actually, I should be more cautious with my uh, assumptions of people. I found out that redneck is actually a good term, is the, the fighting whites, like the whites who are like pro-labor, but then it got turned into hillbilly, and that's not right. So I was raised by Mexican uh, racists or uh, white supremacists. Uh, have you ever heard of anybody from Latin America bring that up? No. So again with the Spanish, you know, I got a lot of issues with the Spanish. So you know the the Portuguese started the slave trade and the Spanish started the um, enslaving of the of the First Nations. But they couldn't slave the First Nations, so then they they either uh, converted them or massacred them, or both. So uh, my family um, was raised under that mentality, and they um, they would say the same stuff as people here. It's either passive racism or uh, active racism. So it's like you know, stay away from people, and all people are like that, and. Very few Latinos actually, acknowledge a thing. Um, I think now it's cool to be down with the people in Mexico, but if you actually live in Mexico, you know how it is. Um, so coming out of that, for me, it's been a, a transformation that, um, that is still a challenge because it's... Um, it's kind of like taboo to not be part of that kind of mentality and, and then there's um uh, class issues so if you're rich and light-skinned in mexico you get away with it more than if you're poor if you're poor you're down with the people even if you don't want to and then in the us you're just mexican no matter what you pretend to be or claim you are and that you're different or you're special or whatever. or you get thrown in the mix with everybody. Gerald, uh, can you tell us a a little bit about yourself and and, um, your experience with race? You're very um, blurred. Uh,
3: Well, uh, thanks for having me. Um, I am, was born and raised in Anderson, Indiana, which is where I'm speaking from now. Those born in the Midwest, race has always been an, uh, a focal point in my life, obviously. Uh, so I was really uh, interested to to uh, just happy to be a part of the conversation. Um, um, it'll be interesting to see where we go with it. Um, but I I'm, I'm down to uh, listen and learn. Well, Moving we appreciate on.
0: We appreciate everybody's openness and and this is a difficult subject, so um, we're working through it. So today I wanted to discuss uh, a very controversial topic, but I think we're gonna push that to the end. Um, There was a couple of things that both Angela and Amber shared um, that I wanted to to dig into. So the first uh, issue was this idea of the government asking you to identify yourself for whatever purposes. Um, I almost got fined $50 for not wanting to fill out the census. Uh, Is that a a Canadian thing too, or is it just American um, oppression?
2: Oh, we definitely have the race question on our census as well. I don't know if we get fined for not not filling out the census though Angela do you know
1: I don't um, if I'm honest I don't know that I've ever filled a census out when was the last one (laughs) (laughs) but I can't remember yeah
2: the last one was a bit controversial because they did like a short form and a long form etc you don't remember that Nope. But, yeah, it's, like, you know, it has, like, however, 20, cla- like, different race classifications or whatnot. And, of course, like, you can't pick more than one. <laughs> so it's, like, what do you identify with the most as a mixed-race kid? That's always a little confusing. <laughs> sure. yeah. yeah, I don't, but I
1: wouldn't uh, say, sorry, go for it. No,
2: I have no idea if we get fined or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've never been fined. Um, but the same thing, there's the boxes on a lot of things when it's there isn't an option. There's often like an other, and then like a other. space, you know, like, so sometimes I'll just fill that one out. But it's it's very, this, 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 or this, but no multiple checks. But no I pick problem. other all the time. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, I'll share my experience. So, you know, when you come from Mexico or any country, when you first get here, everybody's like, where are you from? Because of your accent or you're awkward or whatever. And then they try to pair you up with another uh, person from your group. And not all Latinos like each other. So, you're at a party and they're like, so and so is from over there. And I'm like, I've never been over there. I don't know what I'm talking about. But they speak Spanish. And then you try to like, So they try to categorize you and like group you. And then one time I told somebody, I'm a citizen of the world, kind of like you, Angela. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And then they demanded that I identify myself as a Mexican. Like kind of like what Donald Trump did to um, Jon Stewart. He told him, why did you take out your Jewish last name? Aren't you not proud of being Jewish? So that's the kind of thing that they pull on me, is like, so you have a problem with being Mexican? Is that why you don't want to say you're Mexican? And so now you have people imposing your own identity on you, and like we talked about people who struggle or they have issues with where they, now it's like no matter what you do, you can't get away from it. So the in one conversation we had on the show, I was talking about how The reason that there's African-American studies programs or Mexican-American studies or Jewish studies or Islamic whatever is so we can identify ourselves, so we can celebrate ourselves. And we don't have to be depending on other people to tell us what our culture is about. And I think that that's a big, important part of this conversation that the classification of North America is whatever they came up with and the way that they want to look at us. And there's like five different terms for a Latino now. And I don't know if I identify with any of them. And you have to kind of like join those groups. And some of those groups don't even want me to be part of of their, because we're different generations of immigrants. That's the other challenge like, you might feel or not feel to be part of something and then do they want you to be involved? So uh, in one of our, previous conversations as we were getting ready for the show, Amber, we were talking about groups that have struggled to be identified or be acknowledged, such as the the First Nations, and how um, now um, there's a structure and a system and you have to be uh, part of, or, or a member, and then there's some people would say, well, I would like to be part of that, or I have some ancestry or whatever, and then you have to go through a process, um, and then Angela was talking about how the people of the future or what uh, the French Revolution was fighting for was that we would just all be brothers and sisters, and there would be no other than maybe nationality or something, there wouldn't be any separation or, or distinctions. And sometimes in, in progressive movements, you run into that where people are like, why are you making such a big deal about where you're from? Aren't we just all human? You know?" we should just you know, not even care about where we come from. And then in other instances, they make such a big deal about where you come from that, that they kind of um, limit you or separate you and, and, and kind of try to define you kind of like what we're talking about. Have you guys ever experienced that? Or what do you guys think about these issues that I'm bringing up?
2: Well, in Canada, we also have like race-based legislation called the Indian Act which like actually defines First Nations individuals based on how much blood they have. And that was put into place like back when Canada was founded, and it was basically to keep First Nations and the Indigenous of Canada like really suppressed and segregated, that's the whole base of this legislation. And as far as I know, it's actually the only race-based legislation in the entire world. And we have it here in Canada, and it's still enacted to this day. We still are defined by that. And it's interesting because what you said is like you kind of have two sides of things where you have First Nations that don't actually want to be defined that way. You have people because of the way that this rolled out and you could actually give up your status or, you know, it could be taken away from you at certain points in history. And that would define whether you were actually Indigenous or not. And so here's a funny story. My grandparents, who are high chiefs, 100% First Nations, were considered not First Nations of Canada because they were enfranchised by the government. But then you also have people who, well, you know, don't want to be a part of it. And then you have people who say, well, I have like 116th First Nations and I should have a status card. So it's like a very interesting conversation. But at the end of the day, it's actually a racist part of our legal law and governance of Canada that keeps us actually suppressed. So it's an interesting conversation to have. You know, You, you I want to be a part of it, but I don't want to be a part of it. And in indigenous culture, it even goes beyond that to like uh, spirituality and stuff, you know, where a lot of people want to be a part of that. But then they don't want to be a part of like the full culture
0: you use the term enfranchised. does that mean that you were what does that mean
2: yeah so that's like basically uh if a female first nations person like this is back in history um married a white person then they would be take their status would be taken away or in my grandparents or great-grandparents uh it was actually a choice that they made in order for their children to not go to the residential schools. So my great grandparents had two of their children go to residential school. Realized that their kids weren't getting any education that way, and because our nation, the Wet'suwet'en Nation, never actually treated our land, um, which is why we have a Supreme Court ruling in Canada that says we have the rights to 22,000 hectares in northern British Columbia that they couldn't really fully legislate them under the Indian Act. So my grandparents chose to, or my great grandparents, sorry, chose to enfranchise, which means leave the Indian Act and say that they're no longer Indian uh, under the Indian Act, which we don't use that term anymore, but Indigenous to Canada. So they basically, Canada said, you're no longer Indigenous, you're one of us, you get to have all the rights of being Canadian, but you no longer get to be Indigenous Canadian. So my grandparents actually ended up totally thwarting the system and, and playing them at their own game by buying land, et cetera, and then doing our ceremonies and, and potlatches on the land that they purchased because that was they have the title now. So in franchising, just means basically you no longer are classified as an Indigenous Canadian and you don't get any, you don't get to do anything First Nations. You have to be white now.
0: It's wild because a lot of people don't know about the history of Mexico and Mexico was influenced more by the French than by the Americans. And even though they have a constitution and they kind of became a country around the same time, they took some ideas from the French of this nationhood thing. So I think that after they tried to enslave the native population and it didn't work, then they try to convert them and it didn't work. Then they came up with these things like, okay, we're all just Mexicans. So forget about your previous uh, associations. We're just going to, they came up, there's a term called the the race of bronze. So we're all mixed. So we're all one people. And then they try to like, uh, get rid of, of the indigenous heritage. And I was sharing with you guys that we had the first indigenous president, I think of the whole uh, continent. But he dressed and acted like a Spaniard. Uh, And no one ever even talks about him being indigenous. Like he's considered like one of our first presidents. So then there's this thing of like erasing your, your heritage to be accepted. And I feel that as an immigrant, it's the same thing with Latinos and with other groups that if you are too Mexican or too anything else, you're automatically singled out and dismissed. So when people now are looking at the election and why so many Latinos voted for Trump and things like that, they need to consider that, that a lot of people have assimilated so they can have access to resources and then that's used against them. Mm-hmm. So they're judged because they're trying to survive and they're trying to be in with the in crowd and then now they're the bad guys and they're just as racist as the racist. But it's like, that might be the only choice. Just like in Texas, your only choice was to stop speaking Spanish, because if you spoke Spanish, you would get beaten and mistreated, so then there were generations of people who lost their language. Um, in your travels, Angela, um, are people even like, willing to bring up that stuff, or is it too, too much to dump on, on, on white people? Like, uh, what have you come across uh, in these conversations?
1: I would find like I can only speak for my the community that I'm across uh, like that not across but that I have access to and I would say with gratitude a lot of the white peers that I have in the last year specifically have started learning Um, and then and then the more I'm I'm aware of that the more I'm able to see the People that have been around me that have been learning for a lot longer because race. I'm pretty. I'm a little more schooled in the intersectional language of gender and and race sits within that. So now I feel like this is that second part. Um, for my own learning, I had to figure out the the gender empower like in disempowerment. Um, and it helps me to understand the race. So with the people around me, it's. It's hard, I, I was in a, not hard, how do I, that's a, that's not the right way to put it. Um, There's a lot of silencing and a lot of guilt. And if you think about like kids that have been playing in a toolbox for so long, they, they don't really realize they've been playing with other kids' toys, like, and you say, hey, that's like, you've got like 12 toys and your friend over there has maybe one if they're lucky, like, it's it's still in such a new state of understanding the deep roots of, of how embedded the system is, that I feel like around me, it's exciting because there's a lot of people starting to to realise it's not up to other people to do the work for the white community to be learning what part they have within the racial dialogue, so I hear a lot of shifting happening, but not all of it is... It's, it's like so many things need to be understood before even understanding, like what empathy is, what it is to hear a story and not try and turn it into your own because you don't have the capacity to understand what it's like to grow up in a, in a, in a, a body of a different colour in, in our cultures that we're currently living within on a mainstream so yeah I can only speak from my own like just I only know my own experience within and I don't know if you guys have heard of this I'll briefly say this and then would love to hear from Daryl as well um there's like this thing about like a, a privilege game um and it was about gender as well as race and it was just talking about who's of the, you know, to kind of display to people with privilege the differences, and all these questions are asked like, take two steps forward if you grew up in a, in a one-parented home. Take three steps forward if you are of white skin colour. Take five steps back if you are this. And whenever I've played those games, I'm in the back with usually a transgender person or a person of colour, and then there's like a whole bunch of people in the front. So from my experience, I'm on the line. I'm in this space where I can only say my own experience and I'm I'm embarrassed by how little I knew before I started learning. So it's it doesn't stop me from doing it, but it's 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 challenging to see everywhere I turn. There's like a I went to a park in the summer in the Shuswap, I'm not saying the word properly, area in BC, and it had been recently retitled to be more um uh, understanding of the, the true heritage of the space, uh, Indigenous culture, but the person who wrote it, I'm quite sure, was white because of the way that they worded what they were saying about, like, they, they tried to make it seem backward. And I couldn't even, I was so infuriated, I couldn't even go on the walk. I was like, I can't even, like, fuck, <laughs> pardon me, but to try and, like, to just, just to realize how settled. So I see a lot of people around me starting to realize, oh, my fucking, we're sitting in the top of the, like, the top of a structure that's so hierarchically power formed that it's taking a lot, it's so embedded, it's taking a lot to really understand clearly what race is and how white is such a huge part, white is a race, white is a part of that, and it needs to acknowledge it's, it's, performativity in it, it's creation of it, you know, it's, it's crazy. Um, so I see a lot of silencing and a lot of, a lot of guilt currently. And that's, yeah.
0: Yeah. But...
1: Yeah. Even in the most, like some friends that or friends or people or peers, like people, the more I start to learn of it, it's challenging to know that I'm doing the same thing. So that's one thing in these conversations. I I don't, I feel like I'm, here to speak, but also more like I'm <laughs> <laughs> it takes courage to even speak right now. Cause it's, it's, I'm coming to the, I'm coming to the, the party late in the game. I haven't been as aware of this in my life as I haven't been told every step I take.
0: Um, what I got from one of our conversations is that isn't there people that you come across that are like clueless or like. When you bring up the suffering of of others, they're like, well, it's the cruel world, get over it.
1: Yeah, I would say if I'm super honest, maybe like the people around me in general, not just my closest peers, even my peers, maybe, maybe 10% are, are, are learning, which is more than last year. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) they. um, Maybe, maybe more than that, maybe more that I don't see, but there's there's still quite a large amount of, of even the most, like what I was saying, how I used to think I was, oh, I'm not racist, you know? I don't care where you come from. It's not my place to say that. I was speaking with Amber about just acknowledging, I've known Amber for quite a few years and just, I've known as a gender or as a, as a hardworking woman to be like what that takes in the world, but it didn't even clue to me ten years ago on projects we worked with, the rootedness of, of, like, the intersectional layers of what it is to be a woman of colour, in a woman of Indigenous heritage in Vancouver itself, and this was me, like, ten years ago, and, and I'm saying, I'm trying to open my eyes, and it's it's hard to see that, like, yeah. So I would say it's not, there's still quite a lot of just buying into the what you're told. Um, but more now than before of those that are not. So people that had thought they were on the outside are recognizing the outside is much further than where they thought they were. They're still within the really cushy confines of privilege.
0: Gerald, tell us about your experience because uh, right now there's there's a movement for uh, people to be respected, to be treated equitably. You would think that by now, in this country that talks a lot about, they're worried about what everybody else is doing in other countries and fighting for women's rights or uh, minority rights in other places. But you would think that now there would be this acceptance of being aware that um, African-Americans uh, or American blacks are being mistreated and, and that there's this dissonance like, what's the problem? I don't know what you guys are talking about. Um, I, you know, bad apples or whatever, Like. There's this dismissal of the suffering of, of the African American community, and now is, is I think it's been years of pundits pushing for that, and now has been normalized. Uh, tell us about your thoughts about your experience um, living in this environment, and then has it gotten better or worse as the years have gone by?
3: Well, we've actually covered a lot of ground uh, so far with uh, the conversations. I'd like to just comment on just one thing before talking about the other. Uh, I think that it's really uh, I think it's a good thing that so many people feel uh, comfortable and and empowered to self-identify in ways that they want. Uh, When I grew up as a kid. It was if you had one drop of black blood or just brown skin, black skin, you were black. And nowadays. um, We didn't have the language that people have today um, in the way uh, as far as uh, in the way that we would identify ourselves. I just think that um, when you were talking about. The diversity within the Latino community, that people are 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 somewhat shocked or surprised to learn that um, that everyone's not the same, and they shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be shocked at this point. I think that it's a it's an interesting time because. It feels like people are learning more and more that they don't have the luxury of not knowing about other people, other cultures and their experience, and I think that that's a really good thing. I don't know how far um, people are willing to go with. uh, The openness Uh, I'm thinking about people like uh, when it comes to. I'm trying to think of the lady's name. I want to say Rachel Do- Dolazal. I don't know if you all does that name sound familiar to you. She was a woman who she was white, but she said she self-identified as black, and so she lived her life as a black woman. <laughs> Do you all remember yeah. that?
1: Yeah.
3: So really, I feel like
1: yeah.
3: there are some there are some boundaries. I don't know where where they necessarily are. I would you know I think that. Folks like Rachel, um, we can learn a lot from her perspective. Uh, There's a a new movement, the Ados movement. Have you all heard about that? American descendants of slaves. Um, So these are black Americans who. Want to make it clear that we're not people of color. We have we're not uh immigrant we're we're non-immigrant americans we have our own history and experience and culture here and and it's important for people to know that so that they can actually see us and understand what our experiences are here in this country and that's that perspective really makes a lot of people uncomfortable um You know, so there there seems to be this kind of awakening, this new openness to uh, discussing, uh, I guess, to looking at people through all kinds of different lenses. And I I think that that's a good thing. Uh, But I want to make sure that I understand your question. Were you asking me more specifically about uh, how do I feel about police brutality and what's happening nowadays? Or you asked me what my experience
0: was, but I want to make sure I'm clear. Well, there's the issue of, of being in danger by the authorities and there's the issue of the way that the African-Americans are perceived by the rest of the population. So I wanted to hear from your experience where you grew up and how it has, you know, in the last decades uh, that you've been alive, have you seen a shift or have you seen progress and then steps back? What, is, what has it been like for you and the people around you with this sense of, of being, fully embraced because you said there, there's people who are acknowledging that they're, you know, we're all Americans, but we're still seen as the other. So is that part of, of the, the black experience of, uh, uh, always being treated like, I, I mean, you're, like.
3: I would say black folks are in, in many ways are like, um, you know, they're, folks that are under that umbrella to the folks that are under the Latino umbrella as well. I mean, there's a lot of diversity within the black community. <clears throat> but, you know, I grew up here in the Midwest. Uh, I I'm in a small town. Uh, there was this was a, a, a stronghold of the Klan the for years. I remember as a kid watching. Uh, parades and things like that here in the in in Anderson, and I think like most like a lot, lot of uh, black Americans from my generation, we were the group that were told just, you know, get your foot in the door, you know, just don't don't complain about try and try and get get at the table and don't make a big, you know, do what you got to do to get in and then try and make a change once you get there. And so um, I think and that was a big part of. um, Of my career my pursuits academically with my career that we were really just supposed to be satisf- satisfied to, um, to to have pro- more I guess proximity with um, the the American uh, the so-called American dream that that was more important than the Any kind of personal suffering or sacrifice uh, or limits that were placed on you but I I think a lot has changed I mean uh, my as because I'm older I I'm experiencing things as a you know as a senior an older person and so race has its place I don't I never expected to be fully embraced by this country Uh, my experience has always been I've had to leave America to actually feel like an American. (laughs) And even that wasn't uh, a robust feeling of being an American. But I think that things we my generation has wanted to believe that things have changed. But in many ways, uh, it hasn't. Um, I think that. And it's it's painful to watch, but I'm hopeful because there are a lot of people uh, in the younger generation in particular who uh, are open to learning more about other people. They have access to information about other people, and um, and they're making a difference. So um, I think it's easier for me at this point in my life to navigate through a lot of the racism that I encounter because it's a uh, it's in order to survive you have to 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 learn how to do that and, you know, uh, recognize it and figure out what you need to do to protect yourself. But I don't think a lot has changed. Um, um, but I feel like I still feel hopeful that there's a pathway uh, for things to get a lot better. And I'm not always sure where that's coming from, but I feel like it's I have to be hopeful or else it doesn't, Then or else I would be that person uh, doing more harm than good. And yeah, so I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's where I'm, that's where I am. That's where my, my mind is today.
0: Well, in our, one of our previous conversations, you mentioned that um, to be, you know, there, there's a book called uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And they say, you know, there's a difference between being pro-diversity um, and being actively Involved in in bridge building and creating diverse uh, communities, but then you run into the problem. It's like I don't have an Asian friend, so I'm gonna go find one, and is and then it becomes like forced that you're gonna have a rainbow coalition of, of people around you. So, uh, but in in your experience, do you feel that the allies of the Black community um, are there? out of the kindness of their heart, or like we've we discussed is sometimes they, people have other motives. Like if you if you help me, I'll help you. And that's why politics can muddy everything because now you have activists from one group that go to you know Black Lives Matter or something else and they expect to be supported in what they're doing. And then um, you, I remember you telling me like, what can you speak people just, like be kind and and loving and and care for us without expecting anything in return.
3: Um, I, I, I remember that conversation and I still feel that there people will come together when they come together and, um, whether it's around an issue that they both care about or that's something that's clearly linked to their, their survival they'll support each other, but I don't have the expectation that, um, that things won't change, uh, that allies won't come and go. And I feel like that's okay. Uh, I feel like we can, we contribute where we are and feel good about it and then move on to the next chapter. And, um, and, and that works for me, that may not be the case for everyone else, but I don't, with regard to allies to the black community, I mean, I, I, I try to to navigate a space that's a little bit more uh, intimate. And so I'm not I feel like I'm not. When I'm I'm talking to you, I'm not talking to the Latino community. I'm not here necessarily to right now to represent the black community, whatever that 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 means. I mean, I'm here representing myself and, and my desire to be the best person that I can be and and my desire is to support other people uh, who are, um, are. Are nurturing and caring and supportive and kind in this moment. And I, I don't expect anything. Um, I haven't I don't I guess I don't expect anything as a, as a result. Now, I feel like if, if a if someone comes to me and they say, I need your help with X, Y and Z. And I give them that help and support. And they're abusive or disrespectful, or uh, I'm taken for I don't um, I don't feel bad about you know letting folks know where my boundaries are. But by and large, I just feel like um, at this point in our history, I mean, I just feel like all we can really do is um, try to support each other and build each other up. Um, because uh, anything less than that, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I know for a lot of people that's you know, that kind of thinking, it isn't, a, it isn't necessarily very highbrow. It's very basic. And, and I think that we need to get back to that. Just respecting the natural world will lead to respecting and, and, uh, one another. And in the end, I mean, it's, it's saving ourselves and creating a future for ourselves and our children. So I, you know, these are this is the big subject. Ladies, if you want to jump in, I, I just I don't want to ramble. But again, I feel like at this point and I think it's an age thing. Uh, I would rather spend my time and energy investing in people and being around people who do that and building people up than a lot of these what ifs, what if this, what if that and you know, or these uh, long-term expectations from anyone else. You know, we're here, our group, I don't know why we were brought together tonight, but I'd like to believe that something positive positive is good is going to come out of it, you know, and and because I believe that, I really feel that that, that will be the case. So I will shut it down now and just let <laughs> let someone else join, chime in. Um, I'm going to speak just
1: because, Amber, when you and I spoke, um, something that's standing out to me that I'm hearing a bit in what Gerald is saying is we were talking a little bit about the warriors and the nonviolent communicators and how it's not about, oh, you're doing this the wrong way or you're doing, you're trying to get, you know, equality the wrong way. Like punching across at each other isn't going to help. We have to work. If, if one person, you know, like, supports your cause and they're gaining something from it. They're supporting a cause. Cool. You know, like, it would be great if they do it without any need for their own, but, like, I see some similarities in what we were talking about. So if you want to expand more on that, um, or what your what your kind of takeaway was from that, because I'm a firm believer in the nonviolent, like, supporting and working together. There's a system that's oppressing everyone, even the tallest white man in the group like it's it's not a system that's healthy for humans to feel safe and survive and grow together as as creatures um so thank you yeah i mean i think yeah
2: i think that you know a lot of i mean we we get a lot we get wrapped up in in terms as well right so like and, and as well as how people are giving their message. So the frontline workers of the BLM or the First Nations, like any time that we do our protests and we stop, we, we need those angry warriors, you know, that's what we were talking about. Um, but those angry warriors, they, they have a place in the world of basically shining a light on the issues, but they have a hard time when they're brought to the table because when you're at the table, you need to have a lot more understanding and you need to under like allow for the allies to make mistakes. Like I posted something on my Instagram just yesterday about that saying it's better to be an ally making mistakes than it is to just be passive. And that's the truth. However, the angry warriors, they can't actually have that like two-way dialogue, four-way dialogue, five-way dialogue, but they're necessary. So to say like one is doing one thing right or wrong, it kind of like defeats the entire purpose because we need all of the soldiers, you know? Anytime that you're going into kind of, I don't wanna, I hate using these kind of terms, except that
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: they work, I guess, but a battle of some sort, everybody has a different purpose and reason for being there. So I think like for me personally, I i want to be at the table i so in doing that i need to be also very understanding that when whoever i'm talking to is coming from a place of of the system defined them so you know whether you're caucasian and you're told that you have these entitlements like that's something that you were told and you grew up in so i have to honor that and that you're going to make a mistake on the way and you're gonna have ideas that are not your own and that you might offend me, but I have to hold my offense. And you know, when I talk to some First Nations people about advocacy, they're like, yeah, but it's not up to me. It's not up to me to like, you know, not be offensive. And it's like, sure. Except that if we're really trying to move forward, like it's like being in a marriage and thinking you can always yell at your husband, like at some point in time, even though you're mad at him, you have to keep it down so you can make progress. So I think that we all have that place. I find it very interesting that like within, when we talk about racism, there's such a huge definition that we make. Like I find it interesting that David said earlier that like, I kind of chuckled because it doesn't even make logical sense to say that all Latinos should like each other. Like. That ever happens in any place, you know? Like suddenly we're all defined and the same. So oh, you must like each other, or you know, this happens in in the First Nations all the time with our culture, where somebody—I love this. I'm a hairdresser, so like, I have a lot of conversations in my chair, and we have a lot of First Nations studies here, and I will have a usually a Caucasian middle-aged upper aged female who will have taken one course and then start to tell me about my culture to my face like you know and I'm like oh actually you learned about Coast Salish culture I'm Wet'suwet'en oh yeah yeah but you know so when you guys do your weaving actually we don't do that well yes you do you know and I'm like whoa like you know but this is this is the very first like baby layer they haven't even like they can't even go that deep because they've just like lifted the sticker you know. So we have to be okay with the, with these if we're going to make progress. That's what we had talked about, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm going to jump one more thing in to add. Um, when you talked about the marriage, a lot of my understanding when I come to these conversations comes from the learning I've done with sexual trauma and with, with gender violence. And I remember once being at a circle of women of all ages, all colors, talking about, um, not all colors, like, many colours, um, talking about where they were at in their journey with it. Some were angry, some were avoidant, some were super passively understanding of it, some were were just what I felt in that group was I understood that everyone is doing the best they can in a situation to survive and to and to try and open to loving one another, to try and feel safe and cared for. Um, and we're within this structure that isn't necessarily built to provide that <laughs> and it, maybe it tried at one point but it's failing <laughs> horribly <laughs> so I, I also agree it's like if if you if whatever's being done it's all some some people might be leading the battle of like educate we're going to change it through that some people might be leading it through being the fire blowers of like this is this is happening and then others are sitting at the table but it, this all there is a lot of progress happening. I feel like I'm watching society changing in my own lifetime. So I'm I'm experientially witnessing it. And it's exciting to think about all the different people that are needed to create that kind of change. So even the woman in the chair and having the, the, the ability that you have to, to hold space for whatever she's going through in her journey <laughs> to be trying, you know, doesn't like... If there's so many, like, to have that space um, that you shared of when you hear the stories, like what you were saying about sitting at the table, and, and I might have, like, I hope in our dialogue, if I say something that offends, please let me know, but, because I want to learn, but it's not your job to teach me, you know? <laughs> so that thing of, of learning to hold that space of what it's going to feel like when we all start to change, it's not it's not going to be svelte or graceful a lot of the times, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, it's
2: definitely not comfortable.
1: Hey, I don't know, you know? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> like when I talk to Caucasian people about this and then they get the, you know, and again, cause I've been told many times, I think this is my bridge, you know, is I keep that space for them. I let them stumble and they feel comfortable there, which is great. Um, but it's an interesting thing because then they tell me all the things and they're all the things that we all hear, you know, everybody doesn't matter if you're Latin or black or first nations, we all hear the same things like, well, you know, they're doing it wrong. Like they shouldn't get so upset. And if they didn't say it in that way, I would accept it a lot easier. And I always just like, let them finish what they're saying, because, you know, oftentimes this is something that creates a lot more issues as is if you interrupt. So I just like let them finish. And then I just like to just kind of poke at them a little bit and say something like, so how about if you also reflect on your reaction to that? You know, like, why are you reacting the way that you're reacting? Because you're upset that they pointed the finger at truth. This is, you want this conversation of anti-racism to be comfortable. That's not a thing. Mm -hmm. This is not going to be comfortable. Facing yourself is not comfortable. Facing realities that Black men get shot by police officers almost every second day in the United States of America, that's not comfortable. You know, knowing that a, a female on the east coast of Canada was killed by a police officer, shot her 10 times, while also beat her and broke her leg. Like, and said that was a wellness check, that's not okay, that's not comfortable. Saying that I have 10 times more likelihood to get killed by somebody versus a white person in Canada, that's not comfortable. So to expect that this is gonna be easy and that you know seeing yourself when we shine a mirror at you is gonna be easy, it's not. But it's gonna be empowering, it's gonna be heartwarming, it's gonna be heart opening, and it's gonna change the world if we all can get there, you know? Mm -hmm. But it takes uncomfortable conversation. It takes patient conversation. It, It takes empathy and understanding. I think that's the only way that we can really get there.